turn to Second Kings, chapter two. Second Kings, chapter two. And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up the light into heaven, which is the same thing as a tornado, that Elijah went with Elijah from Gilgal, and Elijah sent him to Elijah, and Elijah said to him, as the Lord liveth and as Elijah, So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord went away that night from the And he said, Yea, I know it. And be your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. Now understand that the sons of the prophets were at a school, and that school was not to teach men how to prophesy from the point of view to tell future events. That's I normally think of prophecy for tell future events, that these were schools you had in northern Israel, which had men who knew God's word as they had it, especially, of course, that which was written by Moses in the history of Abraham and so on, and in the law, and they were instructing young men to instruct others in Israel in that word of God. So they were prophets from the point of view that they were instructed in the word of God they had at that time so that they could instruct others. That's how God, of course, was going about and preserving a remnant in northern Israel. Why you said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground, and it came to pass when they were gone over. But Elijah said unto Elijah, And Elijah said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me, when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, and horses of fire, and putting them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes, and rent them in three pieces. And he took also the men of Elijah that fell from him, and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. 
and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord And when he had and when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elijah went over. And when the sons of the prophets which were to view that Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, Behold, now there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master, Aspera, and enter the spirit of the Lord hath taken him up, and cast him on some mountain, or into some valley. And he said, He shall not go, he shall not sin. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Sin. And they sent therefore fifty men, and they sought three days, but found him not. And when they came again to him, or he tarried to Jericho, he said unto them, Did I not say unto you, Go not? That's by reading of the passage. Text consists especially of verses 12 through 15, but to be considered, of course, in the whole of the context. And as I said prior to congregational prayer two Sundays ago, which was the first day and Sunday of the new year, I preached on this text in our faith congregation. That was not the first time I preached this text in the faith congregation. I preached this faith, this text as their pastor in the faith congregation some 30 years prior at the death, I should say, the Sunday following the death and funeral and burial of the mother of Israel who was a member of faith congregation, Linda Benovov, whom the Lord took unto himself and left behind seven children, ages three to eighteen. And on that following Sunday, we turn to this text in our bewilderment and our grief. The text was called to mind about four months ago at the death of Jim Lenovo, known to most of you here, the husband of Linda Lenovo, who had just marked what would have been their 50th anniversary. But for 30 years he was a widow and his children were raised without a mother. It was a loss, as I said, it left us as a congregation in a certain kind of shock and bewilderment and grief. And at that time I turned to this text, preaching under the theme, Where is now the Lord God? of Israel. 
text again. It's not the same sermon, though in some respect it will be similar, certainly. And there's the sermon that has to do with calling upon God, crying out to Him in the time of need when there is a sense of great loss and bewilderment at the ways of God whose way is in the sea so often. He is as we know as something I tell you about his mercies are well disguised. And you do those mercies and you say to yourself, if this new mercy God spare us of his wrath and indignation, I'll tell you that. Turn to this passage in the sense of loss, not only with respect to death and what the loss of death brings to us, go back to the death of Jim and Hope, my own brother, lost a brother this past year, who was of great benefit to myself, a loss, and how many of you haven't lost loved ones, spouses, sometimes children, sometimes parents, and certainly the sermon will apply to that, but even the loss that we as denomination have experienced in this past year, the loss of ministers due to deposition and also resignation and that in the light of the controversy sounding from his congregation who you would have said were friends and maybe members of the family having, having left and had to say some of those who once called his friends have become greatest critics and opponents and there's a sense of loss and even families divided and the cry and the question goes up, where is thy purpose, O Lord? Where is the Lord God of Israel as we face the future in view of these losses that we experience? And we turn to the passage, but not simply to raise the question. We raise the question in order that the question may point us to the answer, as the answer is found in the context, even in some ways in the very cry itself, the answer is given concerning this Lord God of Elijah. Why he is not only the Jehovah God who we need in the tests and trials and losses that can overwhelm in this life, but why we can yet rely upon him. And that he means, even in the face of who knows what kind of distresses that you have experienced or will experience in this coming year, the reason for hope, one who is sure and steadfast, who is as a father, you know, Elijah, Elisha cried out, my father, my father, well, Elijah was a father to him, but we have a greater father than Elijah, don't we, Jehovah God. And to consider even what characterizes one who is as a father to his children, who is sure and steadfast. I hope for years to come, right? Our refuge and our 
straight so that when circumstances come, that would all but overwhelm us. In the end, we are not overwhelmed, and we can still function and go on in the service of the Lord. I was available for him in his service and strong in his might to conquer all evil and stand for the right. With that in mind, there is the Lord God of Elijah, the occasion for the cry that God to whom Elisha and ourselves cry and the marvelous answer to that cry. The question posed by Elisha, where Yeah. 
spectacular way if you will. And so he's taken into glory, asking from Elisha's sight, not as other men, but alive, bodily, into glory. And that truth, of course, that he was taken alive and bodily from the earthly and physical into the heaven and spiritual is validated, of course, in two different ways. It's validated here in the context, as you know. We have the sons of the prophets, 50 of them, standing on the one side of Jordan, having been informed that Elijah is going to be taken from them that way and from Elisha. And after Elijah and Elisha will cross that Jordan, and the Jordan begins to fall again, they watch them disappear into the distance over the horizon. And as they stand watching, they can see this funnel cloud, this great tornado with this, with this wind, with the dust kicked up, and uh, hearing the thunder of the, the rumble of the thunder, and seeing the flashes of lightning swoop down just along that line where the two of the prophets have, have disappeared, if you, if you will, and you wonder what has transpired. And they wait. And in time, one man comes back, and it's not Elijah, it's simply Elisha without Elijah. And now the last Elisha, when he crosses Jordan, where is Elijah? And he informs him of having seen him carried away by a by his road and his tornado up into the heavens and vanishing from my sight. And they are skeptical. How do you know that he's alive and taken into a, into a glory? Perhaps he was simply carried up and then suddenly cast aside. And maybe his body is lying in some mountainside or in some valley. You better go look and finally prevail. And Elisha says, go look. And the passage tells us that it's not just a man or two that goes looking. It's the whole entourage of the 50. And they don't simply spend a day in the vicinity, but they may spend three days looking, scouring the air in every which way. And after three days, by 50 men who are scouring the air where they find no body, he has departed and they return and say, We had him in. He was taken into glory, just as you said he was. Elijah, and he says, and I tell you that, why did you waste your time? That would have been by the conduct. But as you know, there's a validity elevating of that truth of the bodily departure of Elijah also in the New Testament. And I think the children of the congregation can tell me where that validation is found, couldn't you? On the Mount of Transfiguration, just prior to the Christ going heading for Jerusalem to be crucified, and two men from heaven appeared to him to encourage him to face what he must face on behalf of his church on earth and in heaven itself. And one of them is Moses, of course, who also was taken bodily to heaven after he lied. Read the passage. Go to Jude chapter verse 7. Michael continued for the body of Moses on Mount Nebo. He died. He saw the promised land and couldn't enter because of his dishonor of God's name for Israel. And he sees the promised land and he dies. The good land and he's buried in a sepulcher. But Michael continues with searching for the body and takes that body into heaven. And in heaven itself, there's the resurrection of the body for the eyes of the saints in glory, evidently. And it's that Moses, who then bodily and glorified, appears on the Mount of Transfiguration, but with him is another name. 
And that man is none other than Elijah, who departed into glory bodily, but not with a dead body, but living, if you will, like Enoch of old. That is in the law and the prophets in the whole of the scriptures foretelling the need for the death of the Son of God as a mediator to encourage Christ to do what was required of him for the sake of his and his father's beloved people. But that's the occasion for the cry that we might call Elijah's assertion. Because, of course, in the end, that's what it was. It was an assertion in such a way, in such a way of splendor that not even the ascension of Christ from Auburn, all the point in action and it's in its splendor, if you will, Christ Jesus of course is standing up into heaven quietly as they're on a certain certain hillside, Mount of Olives, and he simply floats upward before their face and he watches with the mouths open and he floats upward and he comes to the point of some life low lying clouds and he vanishes from their sight and goes from the earthly and the physical into the heavenly and the spiritual and the of an eye. But with Elijah, of course, he went up with a thing. Let's say, kicking up the dust in the midst of it is this chariot of fire itself and is the, the teams of horses harnessed to the, the chariot and perhaps it's even that Elijah got on that and he sees his squats up into heaven, and as he's watching through the dust, suddenly he vanishes and the thunder disappears into the heavenlies. Taken bodily alive in a spectacular fashion before the very eyes and vision of Elisha. An assumption that is indeed a spectacular display of the power of God if you will. Even if he was to a certain glory of heaven with the chariot of fire and the, and the horses as well. Now, you think that Elijah's seen how Elijah went to heaven in a spectacular fashion and that he has been taken from him bodily and is alive Elijah, there is a grief alone. And the depth of that grief 
a spiritual point of view. I had something to write from a spiritual point of view, and it was something the words of God and Jesus to us, and now we have to go on. Without that one, we was not so much. It is not God. The grief of a child of God and the loss, we might call it a devastating loss of a loved one, is not the sign of an unbelief. And of the doubt that there is really a realm beyond this earth and that a loved one is alive after all in the heavenlies. It has to do with the separation caused by the love. And that's evidenced here by Elisha's sorrow. And the Lord above does not rebuke and condemn sorrow, you know. The loss of the time of death. It's interesting that you go to the Gospels and that Christ even talking to his disciples and he talks about their sorrow and he says to us, we're going to just read a little bit, that you sorrow not as those who have no faith, but that in your sorrow you have this to comfort you in your sorrow as I'm going to be taken from you and you will sorrow over my leaving you. The Lord does not rebuke us for that sorrow. Somebody can go with sorrow and grief. He knows it's the evidence of love. In fact, it would be something very wrong, you know, if someone is taken from a wife and have no sorrow at all. When you gather from that, there must not have been much of a relationship of love if you would mind that someone has been taken from you. And I'm convinced that when it comes to believers, our sorrow can go deeper than that of unbelievers because our love has gone deeper and our fellowship and our communion and what the Lord has meant to us, maybe from a physical point of view, maybe from a spiritual point of view, and the wind goes deeper, if you will. But here you have Elisha. And it's not that Elisha doubt that. And then he says, what, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel, the chariots of Israel, and the horsemen thereof, because of the one who was taken from him, what Elijah meant to him as a spiritual instructor, as a father, if you will, and the sweet fellowship that they had together, and as well what Elijah meant to Israel while he served as a prophet. We're not in power, the Lord, to have this sorrow. And that word of sorrow there must be a word of warning at a time. And there may be, and come to a certain, at a certain time, a time for reproof and rebuke, though it might be in a rather gentle but firm way, something on the order of Christ Jesus having risen from the dead and standing there at the place of the sepulchre, and Mary Magdalene comes to him with her tears, and throw her tears, and he can't even see that Jesus is from the dead, and she wants to treat him as a stranger, and finally he says to Mary Magdalene, Mary, Mary, and he gives her that word of reproof and firmness, but with gentleness and love at the same time. Mary, you think you have no one to live for anymore? You have no purpose in life anymore, because that can happen in grief, you know. So we're learning that a man or a woman or a mother may say, Why well, you go on? This grief 
to impoverishment and grief, the word of God and the power of the word of God. And that, of course, what Elijah represented. That's how God worked through Elijah. The result, Elijah was taken from Israel, and Elisha goes back to join with that mantle, and he was to the Lord God as he holds that mantle. Lord God, it would appear almost that one has been taken from us, who is the chariot of Israel and the portion thereof, who is irreplaceable, and how can my people continue, how can the family continue without that one who seems to be irreplaceable? Lord, show thyself and be thy pleasure to use one of us. of the Lord the mantle and says, Lord, if it is thy will, needs me in the service of thy people Israel. Even though Elijah is gone, I have couples to live, one to whom I can live, and others whom I can serve. Use me, Lord, if it is thy will, show thyself. And so, beloved, this cry. But notice the cry. He does not say, where now is Elijah? As if some man... Children. 
chosen from before the foundation of the world. You know that song, right? God, you want to let you know that song. And I have to bear witness to others concerning the wonder of the doctrine of the election and the love of God in every destiny and age. I don't know where this is found. You're back out again, class. That's all I have you saying. In Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, where we read, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, in love having predestined us unto the adoption of children. And that's how the Lord God reveals himself through Elijah. Don't forget the love that Elijah was taking to Mount Horeb when he was going to resign from office. He was done, if you recall. The Lord sent him to Mount Horeb, which is another name for the mountain, and the peninsula of Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given. And when he reveals himself, speaks to Elijah, and what does he say to Elijah? I have seven thousand. Consume both of those groups of fifty with the fire 
because Elijah was not going to be silenced on the word of Elijah. And another man took him away with the assurance, of course, that he would not hunger when he knew Elijah from the sin of that God of fire, the sin of power. And he's the God who is consumed to the enemies. And as the God of consuming power, of the of consuming power of his power, spares and keeps his people safe. The God of Elijah, the God who will use his power, who will use his at the disposal of the power at the disposal of his love for all our sakes. That God is the God of Elijah and the God, of course, who we need. But there's another facet to the God of Elijah in addition to his love and to his power, his awesome power. He's also the Jehovah God of a certain gentleness, of a tenderness, if you will, and of a patience with us. He showed that not only to Elijah, he showed that beyond concerning Elijah. We go back to chapter 19, in which Elijah has sat in the juniper tree. He tries to resign from office, and then he comes and says, What do And of patience. 
also receive a God who is good to his word, is he not? There was a widow loved in Zarephath. And God sent Elijah at the time of that drought to the widow of Zarephath, a Gentile mother whose husband had died and she was raising a little boy. And Elijah goes and says, I need something to eat. And she says, I'm on my last little portion. And she says, feed me first. And I will not for you. And sure enough, she feeds Elijah first. And there's enough for her. And Elijah she gets up and recruits with some more oil. And it continues with some more flour. And she makes a meal for the three of them. And there's enough for that day. And the next day. And the next day. And the next day as well. Or that who provides and cares. And when the boy lies, it's taken to Elijah in his surprise. And he calls out to the Lord God and raises every child, that little son of seven years, and puts a little son back into her arms. And she exclaims in her body, Now I know indeed that the Lord God that you worship and serve to us is the true Lord God. And it is not all the Israel. as well, and is faithful to me to the very end. That Lord God, beloved, who is true to his word, that too belongs to the truth of the Lord God of Elijah. So we come to the conclusion as Elijah has cried out, where is the Lord God? Where is Jehovah God? of Elijah show according to my word and by promises and by love and by power and by patience and by faithfulness did he? has he? does he? did he? has he? does he? where's did he? Read the context, beloved. Elijah, Elijah stood by the Jordan River and this mantle. Remember the question that the request that Elijah had put to Elijah? Elijah says, What do you request of me, my son? He says, About a portion of my self. He doesn't mean the Elijah. He means the portion of the first one. You are my father. That's the Lord. It depends on what he's seen taking him out. And of course, he saw him taking him down and found the mantle at his feet. Elijah has left something behind his mantle, which has to do with his office. The office of the Lord. And he takes the office of the Lord to Jordan. And he picks up that mantle. Because beyond, and then he asks, show himself. I thought the Lord God in need. Where is the Lord God, Jehovah God of Israel? I have the mantle. Who is more than the mantle? 
trouble the earth, and the God of Elijah, who is in the moon, the God of Elijah is Christ, is faithful. So exceedingly he has loved them and loves us. You think he's going to forsake us now? Christ Jesus, who gave himself that we might have life? We know we are the way to the end. We submit to him in faith, in trust. And into our sorrow, having measure of hope, go forth in service and strong his might to conquer the evil and stand for the right. Amen. For the word we give you thanks and I thank the Lord for our week of the Lord. In the spirit of our deals that we may apply that word of comfort and hope in times of sorrow and distress. We will forth in faith and trust as thy children ever tell you that I am our Father and the chariot of Israel and the horsemen of God in Jesus' name.